This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. How are you tonight, Katie? I'm well. How are you, Chad? I am doing well. End of a weekend after a four-day work week and gearing up for the next one. Here as well. I have a big, big week ahead of me, but it's nice to be able to sit down and talk about one of my favorite shows. <laughs> that makes it better. Yeah, same here. It was nice to just sit down, relax. Uh, I had a bachelor party actually all day yesterday. And so today it was just sort of a chill day around the, the apartment and watching The Office and getting ready to record tonight. Not your bachelor party, to clarify. Yeah, to clarify. <laughs> no, it was not. It was my roommates. So Awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, to start out, we have four new reviews this week. Well done, team. Thank you so much. Dan Lefebvre, Cheeseless Crust, CSMO, I believe, and uh, PDS Josh. Thank you all very, very much for your kind words. Uh, I encourage any of you who might feel so inclined to review us or rate us however you feel fit. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Yes, we would. Thank you to all from me as well. Looking forward to continuing this going. Make sure to reach out aside from just reviews as well. We want you to be involved in the discussion. So whether you send us an email with your thoughts on an upcoming episode or on a past episode, uh, we'd love to get the audience involved more. Chad and I are also really active on Twitter, um, both on the American Workplace Twitter and on our personal Twitters. So hit us up. We're there. Yes, for sure. That is the best place. But uh, Facebook is always an option as well. Great. Well, I think that brings us to our first episode to discuss this evening. It is going to be season two, episode 11, one of my personal favorites, Booze Cruise. It aired on January 5th, 2006, directed by Ken Quapis, written by Greg Daniels. Michael plans a leadership training booze cruise on Lake Wallenpompak in January. <laughs> he makes a fool of himself by trying to take over the booze cruise and holds a power struggle with the boat's real captain, Captain Jack. A conversation with Captain Jack spurs Roy to finally set a date for his wedding with Pam, and consequently, Jim breaks up with Katie, who he has brought on the booze cruise. Jim then admits to Michael that he used to have a big thing for Pam, and Michael encourages Jim to never give up on something that he wants. So we end on sort of a an ominous foreboding moment, but um, yeah, I think that's that's most of booze cruise. So Michael has planned the surprise for the office and he doesn't tell them what it is ahead of time. He says like pack a swimsuit and a toothbrush and a ski mask. And he, the reason he's told them to pack all of these random objects is to throw them off the scent, as he said, <laughs> which it's funny because Stanley walks into his office and says, listen, I need to know, does my, does my wife need to call her job to say that she's not going to be there in the morning? Is this going to be an overnight thing because we brought our toothbrush and toothpaste and all that kind of stuff? And Michael, uh, at first, wants to preserve the surprise. His first uh, priority is the the surprise of it, the drama of it, the uh, the show of it. <laughs> but uh, of he, course, it's yeah. Michael. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he does give in. Uh, he tells uh, tells Stanley, "Okay, it's a booze cruise." And Stanley says, "In January." And Michael just responds, <laughs> "It was cheaper." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keeping in mind we're in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which you could not pay me to be on a boat in the middle of a lake of Pennsylvania in January. Like, not about that. No, probably me not either. Um, and I like the cold. That that just seems a little extreme for me. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but he tries to pass this off as a leadership training exercise, which is funny. We, we get introduced over the course of the episode to this character, Brenda, who is from corporate. And she is there basically to to monitor Michael and to see if this leadership training thing that he's scheduled actually has any sort of benefit to it. And we find out in the deleted scenes that if, if it was worth anything, then Michael could take it to the other branches and present it with them as well. But I honestly don't think that Michael really planned for this to be anything beyond maybe the ship metaphor that he gives in the conference room. I agree. At the same time, I also kind of feel for him because he seems to want to talk about his presentation and Captain Jack, you know, of course, they're on a booze cruise. It's not a private party. Like there are other people as well on the boat. And Michael keeps trying to talk about his presentation. And Captain Jack is just like, no, you know, this is a party boat. Get out of the way. So I definitely understand where Captain Jack's coming from. And, you know, it's not Michael's place to be giving a presentation, but he keeps trying. Uh, I don't know what he has planned, and I doubt it's of any merit, but he's trying, kind of. Yeah, kind of. I do think a lot of it is show for 
the for, for Brenda from corporate. Uh, there's one point where she says, when's the presentation going to start? And he says, well, I already started it out <laughs> in the office and then uh, a little bit out on the ramp with the whole Gilligan's Island thing. And uh, she's just staring at him. She doesn't respond. And he says, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go do some more of it right now. <laughs> like he's, right. <laughs> he's, he's getting scared by her response or lack of response at that moment. Uh, so I think a lot of it is for show. I do think he did try to put a lot of effort or some effort into making it good. But I think most of that effort probably came from watching Titanic. Yeah, I would agree with that. In fact, we have a moment with Jim um, who says, if Michael doesn't, you know, go to the front of the boat and say, I'm the king of the world within five minutes or wherever time it was, uh, I'll give you my first paycheck. And the first thing, I don't think, I don't even think that they've um, left the dock yet. Michael goes to the front and I'm king of the world. And the camera pans over to Jim who taps his watch and says, yeah, that, that's about right. <laughs> What's most funny about that, I think, is that when Jim first makes the bet, he says within an hour, but you're right. It is before they even leave the dock. <laughs> and so he's like, hey, look at the time. I, I, it was even sooner than I expected, but that's Michael for <laughs> you. Uh, but even other Titanic references when they're in the conference room and he first makes the the ship metaphor uh, to this whole leadership cinemanar thing that he's trying to put on he's mostly drawing his boat knowledge from titanic he says that sails is the furnace he says haven't you all seen titanic they're they're down there they're grimy they're dirty they're sweaty but they're they're happy and uh at first everybody starts picking apart that metaphor and then he says well they're, they're down there they're singing their ethnic songs they're happy he says actually you know that might be the warehouse because ethnic songs a lot large majority of the warehouse staff is minority colored if you want to put it that way or non-white and it's just michael struggling to bring out any knowledge about boats aside from the titanic and it's funny when he first asks the question everybody what what is sales what is sales daryl actually speaks up and says how about the sails are the sails, like a sailboat, actual canvas sails. Michael doesn't get it because he's talking about the Titanic, which doesn't have sails. So he actually turns it around on Daryl and sort of makes it condescending. He says, yes, that's that's right, Daryl. Sails are important. I think he says, yes, Daryl, the sales department makes sails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> it, it's so condescending. And Daryl just sort of stares at the camera like, really, this is what I'm putting up with, everybody. Take a look. <sighs> And uh, Michael just, that that's his knowledge is he, he watches one thing and thinks he knows everything about it. Yeah, Michael did just have a huge need to be in charge on this little booze cruise. He had several tense moments with Captain Jack. Um, Captain Jack is a uh, a war vet, first of all. He uh, was a captain of a boat in Desert Storm. And Michael thinks he's on par with him because he's a regional manager of, of a paper company. And... Um, the whole crew of the office, that's a bad choice of words, but you know what I mean? All of the office members are clearly siding with Captain Jack. Roy, in particular, thinks Captain Jack is so cool. And it's actually Captain Jack who inspires Roy to finally set a date for his wedding with Pam. Which then, in turn, like I said, makes Jim break up with Katie, who... That's kind of a big surprise that Katie's back in the picture because an episode or two ago, they weren't talking. So that's an interesting turn that I, I had forgotten. She kind of leaves Jim's life and comes back in. Yeah, maybe he decided that it was important to call her up or maybe he was feeling particularly lonely and tried to get her back a little bit. I, I don't know. Or maybe it was just episodes out of order. That happens a lot in these earlier seasons. Yeah, it could be. We'll see. But it is interesting that she is there and uh, is largely non-involved with Jim because it's revealed, one, that he doesn't know very much about her, and two, when he does find out stuff about her, she's really not his type. They're sitting with Roy and Pam at the table on the cruise, and she says, you know, it's sort of like the cool kids' table, and then asks Pam, were you ever a cheerleader? And says, Pam says, no, no, no. And Roy says, she was more of the artsy-fartsy type. And then it's mentioned that Katie went to a sort of rival school and that Roy recognized her because she used to cheer for that school. So Jim is dating an ex-cheerleader and Pam teases him about this a little bit as Katie is doing this impromptu cheer next to Jim at the table. And then when they go upstairs later, uh, which is a scene I'm sure we'll mention in a moment, she asks him, how does it feel to be dating a cheerleader? And he really has no response to it. And there's also, I don't know if you caught on to this, it's pretty obvious that 
Roy and Katie got along way better than Katie and Jim or Roy and Pam. They had a lot more in common. You know, he was probably a football player. She was a cheerleader. They kind of had that same, I don't know, they just had a chemistry going on that Jim and Pam, you know, also get along a lot better than the other two and possibly better matches for each other than the ones they're with. I think that was purposeful because it was really highlighting that both Jim and Pam are mismatched to their respective significant others. Right. Which is a surprise because of what happens with Roy later in the episode where he does make the announcement and says, hey, I've had a lot of alcohol. He doesn't say that, but he has. And it it has lowered his inhibitions and adjusted his uh, decision-making skills and decides finally that it's time to set a date for the wedding. And so he makes the announcement. They set a, a date for June 10th. And that's that. But earlier in the episode, Pam was even saying to Jim, you know, sometimes I just don't get Roy. This was right after Roy was taking a shot out of a snorkel. I mean, <laughs> they, they really couldn't be any more different. You're, you're right. Roy probably was the football star or uh, very sports minded anyways. And Katie was probably along the same lines, was very athletic with the cheerleaders. And both Jim and Pam seem like they're sort of different crowds. But hey, one couple makes it through this episode and the other one doesn't. That is true. Yeah, there's only 50% of that group still together. <laughs> well, this probably is a good time um, to talk about Jim and Pam in this episode. Big moment, or possible moment, I guess, between them. It's mentioned in the commentary that that moment on the deck of the boat is 27 or 28 seconds of silence between Jim and Pam. And it's clear that Jim wants to say something. I don't know if he's going to ask her out, tell her how he feels, something along those lines for sure, but he never does. And he's kind of leaning in closer and closer and is he going to kiss her? Is he going to, what's he going to do? But Pam, either feeling the awkwardness of the situation or something says, I'm cold and ducks back inside. What do you think he was going to say there? I don't know if he was going to say something or if he was just going to kiss her. He he really looked like he wanted to do both. But uh, it was another one of those moments in the show where you just sort of want to yell at him because he's not saying or doing anything. Right. Pam had a similar moment at the end of the Dundies uh, when she goes up to Jim and says, hey, I want to ask you a question. And you think she's about to ask about his feelings for her or her feelings for him. And she sort of balks because the camera's there and says, I just wanted to say thanks. Jim says, that's not a question. So it was the same sort of thing there that we have here, uh, except it's flipped. The scenario is flipped. And Jim just, he, he knows that her fiance is just downstairs. Her fiance is right down there. And he wants to say so much, but he really can't, even though he tries to go back later and approach her a couple of times. But that's when Roy steps in and he's unable to do so. Oh, yeah. Jim actually goes up to Pam, uh, presumably to ask her something important or to tell her how he feels again, right as Roy announces that he's ready to set a date for the wedding. So once again, sort of interrupted by Roy. And uh, Jim also says after the conversation with Captain Jack and with Michael, and they're saying, you know, who would you save if the metaphorical office ship went down? Who would you save? And Jim, already in a sour mood from everything that's happened in the evening, he uh, kind of gives a half asked answer and says you know oh i'd save the customer the customer's always right and then our cu customer is king and then in a separate shot he, he says you know just for the record i would save the receptionist which we all know jim but it's nice that you'd say it yeah it is nice that we actually hear it from his mouth and this is the first time we hear him talk about his actual feelings for pam not to pam unfortunately but at the end of the episode he goes outside after he's broken up with katie and uh he talks with Michael, who has been uh, uh, thrown in the brig, the the theoretical brig, uh, zip-tied to the, the railing of the ship outside. And him and Jim start talking, and Jim says, you know, I, I used to have a big thing for Pam. Like, he's already starting to give up. And he says, she's awesome. She's one of my best friends. Or she is my best friend. She's warm. She's kind-hearted i mean he, he starts saying all these things about her but then he, he has to stop himself because he's trying to let her go he's trying to say okay this was the end there's a date now the clock is ticking the bomb is gonna go off this is over and that's when michael steps in and says hey engage date married and don't ever 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 give up it's it's a really nice moment between the two of them it's one of my favorite moments from michael up to this point so far it's just a, a really sweet moment where he really, somebody does walk away from this cruise learning something. And it's Jim 
getting this lesson from Michael about not giving up on what you want from life or from other people. Now that I think about it, and honestly, I haven't thought about it until this moment, really, that Michael is probably the perfect person to give Jim this speech because he, for all of Michael's faults, he keeps trying for what he wants. He tries and tries and tries to make people like him, and he tries to have friends, and without giving too much away down the line, he tries and tries for, you know, a family, stuff like that. And he just does not quit. He doesn't get discouraged too much. He... It's just all about his goal. And so it, it's kind of fitting that he would tell Jim, you know, never, ever, ever give up. I do think it's funny, however, that Michael, who likes to pride himself on being sort of a matchmaker, said, oh, I, I had no idea about you and Pam. I never would have paired you two together. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny that Michael's sort of the one person in the office who didn't realize how close that Jim and Pam were. And he was the only one probably not making assumptions about them having some sort of affair away from Roy. Phyllis even went so far. Phyllis is a sweetheart. She she assumed that Jim and Pam had a little thing going on when it was mentioned in uh, email surveillance. So uh, Michael really is sort of behind the times. He he says he's a matchmaker. He has a he has a nose for this sort of thing. But this one, this pretty obvious one, went pretty far under his radar. Now, as for funny moments, I have a lot of Michael stuff just because everything he does in this episode is so ridiculous. When he's in the, the conference room with everybody and he's first telling them about the cruise, he makes all the references to the word ship being in leadership. In fact, he says the word ship is hidden inside leadership as its derivation. And that that's not correct. But uh, Jim, Jim makes this funny side glance to the camera when he says that, like, that didn't make sense. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, as they approach the dock where the ship is uh, before they depart, he's singing the Gilligan's Island theme song, which I'm not sure everybody out there, if how familiar with Gilligan's Island you are, but it's about a cast of people who went on a three hour tour on a boat. And then the weather got rough and they crash landed on this uncharted island. And then they spent three seasons there and a couple of movies, whatever. <laughs> Fun fact, I am a big Gilligan's Island fan. I even had a Gilligan's Island birthday party when I was in like fourth grade. But that's beside oh, the yeah. point. <laughs> um, so he's singing three-hour tour, three-hour tour as he as they approach the boat. And he starts assigning people to roles from the show. Pam is Ginger, and Jim and Katie are the professor, and Marianne. And Kelly, being Indian, is a native. And Stanley is a Harlem Globetrotter from the Harlem Globetrotter movie or episode. I don't remember what it was. And then, of course, of course, he is the skipper and Dwight is Gilligan and Gilligan being the main character of the show. You'd think that'd be a compliment. But when Captain Jack steps in and says, nope, I'm actually a skipper, but you can be Gilligan. Michael says, I'd rather die. So you, it's really <laughs> revealing once again, sort of what he's thinking of Dwight this whole time. I had a few Michael moments on the boat as well. One is when Roy and Pam have set their date. And they're really excited. And Captain Jack says, you know what? If you want, I can marry you right now as captain of this ship. And everyone kind of cheers. And Michael says, and I can marry you as regional manager of Dunder Mifflin. <laughs> and thinking that they have just as much power. <laughs> I also, of course, we have to mention Michael's the boat is sinking metaphor. Uh, who do you save? You know, but keeping in mind, this is not a private party. There are other people not in the office on this boat. And all they hear is this stranger that they don't know saying, the boat is sinking, you need to leave the boat. And so everyone starts panicking and grabbing life jackets and starts jumping overboard. And in fact, it's revealed in the commentary that there's one guy who we see dive out the window with a life jacket. And they filmed on location, not in a lake in Pennsylvania, but of course they were on a real boat on a real body of water. And this guy uh, in January, or presumably the winter, dove out of the window into the water and uh, really did it. So that's method acting if it ever was. That must have been very uncomfortable. What's funniest to me about that whole scene is that everybody is panicking except for the people from the office because they know that Michael is just being ridiculous like Michael always is. And so they're trying to convince everybody else, no, calm down. He's not serious. He's doing his thing. Ignore him. It's fine. You're not going to be sinking yeah, the this, this ship is fine. Nothing's happening. 
so that that's all happening at the same time. And then Captain Jack comes out and he has just returned from taking Meredith into the captain's quarters or to the private chambers or the bridge, whatever you want to call it, this private area of the ship where they were presumably about to have sex. And so Meredith comes out as well, and she isn't wearing a shirt, but she has a life vest on to cover up a little bit. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Michael really is in fine form this episode. I think, uh, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of this really is just kind of a show for Brenda from corporate, um, kind of proving that he has stuff to say, that he uh, really has this whole leadership presentation. And he even tells Jan in the beginning of the episode that this is going to change people's lives. People are going to come out of this, you know, new people. And uh, he really has very little planned, but we get to see a lot of funny moments from that. So to clarify, he speaks to Jan in a deleted scene. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, no worries. I just didn't want anybody getting confused. That is a deleted scene where Jan comes in and has brought Brenda with her. The one Michael moment that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention is the dancing. The dancing is oh, yeah. <laughs> the most ridiculous thing that has probably happened. I don't know. It's a contender for the most ridiculous thing that has happened on the show so far. So he he's at the microphone. He's trying to have a presentation with everybody, or at least the people in his office. And Captain Jack comes up and says, nope, it's time for dancing. And so they turn on the music. And so he starts dancing instead. He says, okay, we'll, we'll start dancing. And so he's flinging himself all the way around. He's shaking all of his body parts. Nothing really rhythmic at all about what he's doing, but he's talking about how dancing is a primal art form where you use your body to communicate. So he's still trying to put this sort of semi-educational spin on it, but it, it is the most embarrassing thing. He scared everybody else off the dance floor and they're just staring because he's basically occupying the whole thing himself, uh, both with his body and with his ego. <laughs> I also did have a few non-Michael moments. I adore this cold open for this episode where Jim and Pam have yet again pulled another prank on Dwight and have put all of his personal belongings from his desk into the vending machine because Jim is friends with the guy that operates the vending machine. So Dwight comes in and is, you know, really upset that all of his stuff's in there and, oh, he can't even buy it because his wallet's in there too. And so... Jim hands Dwight a bag of nickels for the vending machine, which makes me laugh, especially since nickels are generally the lowest currency that vending machines will take. They often don't take pennies. So Dwight has to stand there putting in five cents at a time to buy back his belongings. <laughs> I couldn't help but think while watching today how utterly diabolical it would have been for Jim to have given him 19 nickels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We unfortunately don't get to stick around to see him putting in everything. But how wonderful! I think the minimum item in there, at least his wallet, was the thing he needed. You would have needed around twenty nickels in order to get that out. But I just would have loved to have waited around to find out that Jim had only given him nineteen. That would have been so funny. And there would have been a hunt to find the last <laughs> nickel, and surely no one would have one on them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great cold open, especially when Pam walks in and she buys Dwight's pencil cup. And Dwight says, hey, that's mine. She says, I don't think so, because I just bought it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and speaking of Dwight, he gets to, quote, steer the boat to basically get him out of Captain Jack's face. We've established that Dwight likes authority. Normally, it's Michael. But on the boat, Captain Jack is in charge. And Captain Jack was in the military or in the, the Navy, what, whatever branch he was involved in. Dwight is impressed by him. He's the authority figure on the boat, and he wants to please him. So he's going around, and he's asking him question after question after question. And so Captain Jack, to get him out of his face, lets him steer the boat. We have this funny talking head about how Dwight was the youngest person to fly an aircraft when he was age of four or something like that, and how he would have landed it, too. Uh, but his dad wanted them to go back to their seats. <laughs> so Dwight is clueless, and he even spurns Angela when she comes up to him and is wanting to, to do something or spend time together or whatever it is. And he says, do you want to run aground? I am in charge here. This is very important. You have to go away right now. Uh, he, he's just, he's clueless. I also love hate that he calls her woman. He goes, do you want us to run aground, woman? <laughs> just a really funny phrasing. Really funny phrasing for that. Uh, Angela has it rough in this episode because there's even a deleted scene where Daryl is at the bar and Angela's sitting there too, not drinking anything. But Daryl is ordering a shot of tequila. And Angela says, I think you've had enough, don't you? And Daryl turns to her and angrily shouts or says something to the effect of, 
uh, I don't remember exactly what he says in this deleted scene, but he calls her a B word. And then Daryl, thankfully we know Daryl's a good guy. He calms down. He realizes what he said. He gives her this apologetic uh, look and says, you know, I think you're right. And he walks away, but it is tough for her because she was spurned by Dwight when she wanted to spend time with him. And then she was called this vulgar word by Daryl. And it was funny when I was watching that, I hadn't seen that deleted scene before, and I was half expecting her to grab his drink that he had ordered and start drinking because she's had a rough day. Poor Angela. There was a small thing with Kevin at the beginning of the episode when Jim and Pam were doing their duo talking head about the memo from Michael before they knew what this event was. And we see Kevin, the camera cuts to Kevin while they're talking, and he packs what looks like a Speedo. And then he packs like, a roll of condoms. Um, and I didn't know I, I didn't know for sure it was condoms. I, I thought it was, but it wasn't a close look. And I was just like, wait, why does Kevin need condoms for this? What is he thinking is going to happen? <laughs> and so many. <laughs> yeah, and so many. And it's confirmed in the commentary that it, wa- it was a bunch of condoms. And it also reminded me that Kevin's engaged. What is he expecting to happen on this event? Who is he expecting to sleep with? Right. What is, they're going up to office people. It, oh, I, I was really confused. We don't see his fiance, I'm pretty sure, on the boat. And I hadn't actually noticed the condoms until I watched the commentary. And they said that. And I was like, oh, that is a lot. <laughs> and he's engaged. And oh, he was prepared, though. He was. And then there was this small moment with Ryan. In the actual episode, Ryan only has one or two lines. And it's in the conference room at the beginning where he asks Michael, hey, I have a test tomorrow for business school. I'd like to stay home and study. I'd like to stay home and study for it. May I be excused from this event? Michael says, "No, this is going to turn your life around, Ryan." And Ryan says, "I'm already in business school. Like my my life is fine. I don't need it to be turned around. Thank you, Michael." But Michael doesn't budge. Ryan has to go. And then we see in the deleted scenes where Ryan has sort of camped out in the bathroom and he's holding his textbook and study materials in his arms and Michael walks up on him and says, uh, "You know the, the best way to study?" And Ryan says, at home, not on a boat. <laughs> and Michael says, no, flashcards. Oh, flashcards. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. And Michael warns him, hey, you're going to get seasick if you continue to read on the boat like this. And then sure enough, there's a later deleted scene where Ryan has just finished vomiting off the side of the boat. Uh, I feel bad for him because he's just trying to do what he's supposed to do and be prepared for this test. We actually see a lot of vomit in the deleted scenes. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and transition into our deleted scenes. So what was your first one that you wanted to mention? I loved the one where Toby arrives late to the booze cruise and they have just left the dock. And Michael, of course, refuses to let him back on. The captain offers, hey, we can go back. And Michael says, no, that's his punishment. And Toby smiles and stepped away and said, well, maybe I shouldn't have stopped for dinner. (laughs) He intentionally arrived late. He did not want to be there. (laughs) That was funny. I think so, too. Uh, right before that, there was a deleted scene in the conference room or an extended scene in the conference room where Michael calls Toby the anchor because the anchor is the only thing that can slow it down. Right. So <laughs> as Toby is late to the, the boat departing, Michael shouts at him, calls him the anchor again. But Toby's not bothered. He's just excited to not be on the boat that night. I also loved this deleted scene. I did not think we would get to see the real Creed Bratton's guitar playing skills until much later. We get a great deleted scene where Michael tries to play the guitar with the band, but fails miserably. He tries to play Smoke on the Water, and everyone kind of rolls their eyes. And then Creed offers to play, and I think as we mentioned before, Creed Bratton, the character, is played by Creed Bratton, the actor, who was um, a member of the Grassroots. And so the actor is a great guitar player, and he begins to play and then goes back into his history, how even the character Creed Bratton was a member of the band The Grassroots. So that was pretty cool. I didn't think we'd get to see that. That was really neat. That was a neat surprise because we did know that, but Creed doesn't actually play the guitar in the show until much, much, much later. Much later. So it was really cool to have that deleted scene now, this early in the, the show's run where it was confirmed that he was part of the grassroots. He's referring to his real history, which is awesome. And they show pictures yeah. of young Creed Bratton. It was really cool. It was. And it's a it's a fun scene. Michael is extremely jealous because he was playing or attempting to play Smoke on the Water, which is the first thing any like 
seven-year-old with a guitar <laughs> tries to play when they pick it up, I right. think. Like, I, I'm guilty of that, too. When I first got a guitar or when I first <laughs> tried playing a guitar, smoke on the water, it's pretty easy to figure out. But he just doesn't sound good doing it. And then Creed walks up and says, hey, can I give it a try, boss? And Michael says, I, it's out of tune, but you can you can try, Creed. <laughs> it's a broken axe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, man, Creed puts on a show. It's a lot of fun. And it's worth noting as well that they said the band that was there on the on the cruise was the band that actually performed the Office's theme song. Uh, they call themselves the Scrantones. Also really cool. This was a good bunch of deleted scenes and a good commentary as well. I learned a lot. Me too. Oh, there was one deleted scene that was so incredibly painful. Oh, yes. And that was when... Roy and Pam were dancing after the re-engagement, if you want to call it that. Uh, which, by the way, in the episode, Michael and Jim are talking and Michael says, Roy said that the first engagement didn't count, which, oh man, that completely sums up Roy's attitude about the whole engagement yeah. in the first place. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so they're dancing after the, the re-engagement, if you want to call it that. The date has been set. Katie and Jim are sitting at a booth. And Katie turns to Jim and says, hey, I think you should make a toast. And that is the last thing in the world that Jim wants to do. He he is not happy for Pam. He's not happy for Roy. He just wants to sit there and wallow in his misery because his pursuit of Pam is essentially over at this point in his mind. And too late, too bad. Katie stands up, gets everybody quiet and says, hey, Jim wants to say a toast. He says, oh, well, thanks, Katie. I didn't really prepare anything. <laughs> but then he talks about how Pam is his best friend and how great she is. And he tries to keep going, but then Dwight interrupts and steals a joke that Michael always uses at weddings. And then Michael tries to come up with something else to say and he can't. So Jim is sort of off the hook as far as that goes. But it was another chance that Jim started to sort of talk about how he felt about Pam and just wasn't able to get it all out. That was super painful. And then on a lighter note, I think one of my favorites from this deleted scene batch was back when Michael was handcuffed to the side of the boat. He's getting kind of cold, and Jim goes out to visit him, and Michael asks Jim if he has a hat. So he hands him a hat and walks away, and Michael, while handcuffed, tries to put on this hat, and he has, like, zip ties or something around his wrists, and so he has to lean down and put on this knit cap very poorly <laughs> while his hands are tied, and it was just a silly one, but I liked that one. It took several moments. It it was very funny to to watch him struggle and ultimately not even be successful in putting on this hat. Now for the commentary, as you mentioned, there was a lot of vomit in the deleted scenes, and they said in the commentary that they were originally going to have everyone vomit at some point, and they had a montage shot that didn't even make it into deleted scenes. But B.J. Novak, who plays Ryan, was in charge of this montage of everybody puking. So they had everybody like eating cream of mushroom and getting prepared for this. And uh, I, I'm ultimately glad that that was cut out because I didn't I don't care to see yeah. people vomiting all over the place. Not one of my strongest stomach moments either. I'm glad that wasn't there. One of my commentary moments was I've read Mindy Kalig's memoir called Why Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? I believe that's the correct phrasing of the title. And she mentions her friend Brenda, who co-wrote and co-starred in a show that they put on in New York back when, I believe it was New York, my facts aren't totally clear here, but back when they were first starting out, they put on this show called The Ben and Matt Show, where Mindy Kaling played Ben Affleck, and Brenda, her friend Brenda, played Matt Damon, and they like cross-dressed into Ben and Matt and put on this whole show. And that Brenda is the Brenda in the show. She's the character Brenda, which that was kind of fun to put a name to a face finally. That's cool. I I've been meaning to check out that uh, memoir autobiography. So I will eventually. They also mentioned that the actor who plays Captain Jack was a real Marine and he used to be on SNL. His name's Rob Riggle. I also wanted to point out that Rain Wilson in the commentary who plays Dwight wanted to make everyone aware that he actually got really sick during filming. He either got the flu or just really, really seasick because, as I said, um, they did film on a real boat. Two of the days I think they spent docked and then one day they spent out on the water. And uh, there was a shot. It was when he and Michael, possibly, and um, Captain Jack and maybe Roy, I can't remember, were talking on the boat. And Dwight has that straw in his mouth. He says, yeah, I had just gotten sick, so I look pretty bad. But <laughs> he was pretty sick through all of that filming. 
Yeah, they did shoot this over three days, the, the booze cruise part, uh, on location, and they were up almost all night, every night, doing it. So it, it sounds pretty grueling, but they were talking about how they were getting kind of loopy at like four or five in the morning just because they'd been awake for so long. They did mention also that in an early version of the script, Oscar became an angry drunk and got angry at Phyllis. I'm, I'm glad they cut that, but it was an interesting tidbit. And then Kate Flannery, who plays Meredith, her father sent her a letter, uh, presumably after the Christmas party episode, uh, and especially after this episode, telling her to keep her shirt on <laughs> because uh, that's two episodes <laughs> now, all, pretty much in a row, where she exposes herself. It seems to become a habit with her, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> well, I have our discussion topic for this episode, and I just wanted for us to try real quick to complete Michael's ship metaphor for his uh, leadership training exercise. Yeah. So Ooh, okay. I suppose we can go ahead and keep the ones that he's already established. Let's keep him as the captain and sales as the furnace we can change that if we want but uh that that's what he's he's given us so far right so accounting what would count accounting be on a ship or i guess we could even just think in terms of the of the titanic what would that be oh i have no idea i need to look up parts of a ship give me one second i have no idea i think that accounting could maybe be the the kitchen services because money feeds a business Hmm. so feeding customers or feeding uh people on the ship maybe that'd be a good one yeah i wouldn't have thought of that and then quality assurance or what do you think quality assurance i'm thinking maybe like totally transparent here i am looking at a picture of boat parts so this lists (laughs) chains i'm thinking something like yeah ensuring that everything works as possible so like the chains which are like um on this picture anyway, they uh, they act as like a, a second, like a fallback in case something breaks. So like if a rope or something breaks, the chains stop anything from being seriously damaged. So maybe that quality assurance? I don't know. Okay. Uh, customer relations and service. Those could be, I mean, honestly, if you're thinking like a cruise ship, they could just be the customer relations and service. They're in charge of keeping everybody <laughs> on the boat happy. So well, that's cheating, but yeah. It is cheating, but <laughs> I don't know. We already said that HR, or Michael already said that HR, specifically Toby, are the anchor who hold everything back. <laughs> so right. we, can, we can leave that. And then uh, what about reception? Pam's job. Reception is probably like the lookout, right? The lookout or maybe even just like the exterior of the ship. It's the, the face that you put on for everybody else, the people, the person or the thing that everybody sees or talks to. Or maybe the, uh, this is an, we're going back here. This is an old ship, but like the SOS, the, uh, uh, the, the Morse code operator. Yeah. Yeah. Reception Morse code. That, that works for me. Yeah. Possibly. Something along those lines. And then a place for the warehouse. Michael sort of alluded that maybe they should be the furnace because they're off singing their ethnic songs or whatever. But I think we can maybe come up with a little bit of a nicer answer for the warehouse. <laughs> okay. I will have to say ethnicity aside. The warehouse does do a lot of heavy lifting, and they deal with the bulk of the product. So I do agree in terms of just, like, labor, that the furnace probably has the most labor-intensive job. But I don't want to say that. Maybe, like, the the wheel man? Oh, the, the helmsman? The helmsman. Thank you. So maybe the helmsman, the guy who you know, steers the boat, makes sure that, um, that we're going the way we need to go. And uh, the warehouse is in charge of a lot of directing of, you know traffic of, of paper getting it where it needs to go maybe yeah that works for me i i, I like it so we we've got our list uh, and we'll stick to it <laughs> works for me there won't be a test i hope no i hope not <laughs> <laughs> well let's go on to the next episode which is episode 12 of season two the injury it aired on january 12th of 2006 and was directed by brian gordon and written by mindy kaling This episode starts with a phone call to the office from Michael at home, who has caused himself great physical trauma by burning his foot on a George Foreman grill. Dwight leaves in a frenzy to, quote, rescue Michael, accidentally crashing into a pole on his way out of the parking lot. He returns with Michael before too long. Michael's on crutches and has his foot wrapped in bubble wrap rather than a cast, 
and although he asks for no special treatment, he becomes even more of a burden to his employees than normal by asking for them to cater to his every whim. He even goes so far as to call himself disabled. Later in the day, it is decided that Dwight likely has a concussion, so Jim and Michael take him to the hospital to close out the episode. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Injured Michael. Holy moly, that guy is a drama queen. Oh, he's a baby is what he is. <laughs> yeah. Pam several times offers to get him some aspirin because he seems a little fussy. And Michael says, no, I don't want aspirin. And yes, I am fussy. I barbecued my foot or something like that. He's just, he's whiny and no one in the office wants to put up with that. There's a lot of things he does in this episode that don't make sense to me. Like he goes to the bathroom and he falls off the toilet. Like what? How does injuring your foot affect sitting on the toilet? Like, I don't get that. Like, how does that happen? Um, <laughs> but he falls off the toilet. And of course, nobody wants to go in and help him. First, he calls for Pam and then he calls for Ryan. And uh, Toby's outside the restroom and gives the excuse. No, Ryan is dead <laughs> because Ryan's sitting there trying to wave him <laughs> off. No, I don't want to go in there because Michael even says, yeah, somebody needs to pick me up. I'm wedged between the toilet and the stall, the wall of the stall, and uh, somebody needs to help me up and then clean me up a little bit. Like, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I, I just don't understand how he fell off to begin with. What What is so difficult about using the restroom when your foot is slightly injured? And he wasn't even in the bathroom that long. We see him enter, and it's got to be under 10 seconds. I mean, I didn't clock it, but we hear a crash and then he's between the toilet and the wall. <laughs> and how did he get there so quickly? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess that his crutch slipped or yeah. he didn't support himself correctly or was trying to turn around. I don't know. But he's ridiculous <laughs> in this episode. And uh, like I said, he claims to not want special treatment. But he does ask for a lot of it in this episode. He he tells Pam, I just want you to treat me the way that you treat any other family member who's gone through some serious physical trauma. Okay, <laughs> whatever, Michael. Right. Of course, we have to mention that Michael brings in Billy Merchant, who is the property manager of the office park. Billy is, is wheelchair bound. And um, Michael brings him in thinking that they are on a comparable level of injury or of um, of disability. Which uh, which Billy isn't sure really why Michael's brought him in. He thinks it has to do with, you know, property management and whatnot. And Michael begins to kind of grill him and say, like... No, he grilled his foot. You know, How long have you been in your chair? I'm sorry. Wait, what? You said grilled him and I said, no, he grilled his foot. Oh. Was like, Bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, was, I wish I had caught on. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Um, yes, he grills, he grills Billy and his foot. And he says, uh, you know, how long have you been in your wheelchair? And how long does it take you to do something simple like brush your teeth in the morning? And Billy is, is catching on that, oh, Michael thinks that, you know, maybe we have something in common because I'm in a wheelchair and Michael burned his foot this morning. Just really despicable, awkward. <laughs> Everyone's kind of laughing along with Billy at his jokes. And Michael says, don't laugh. And Billy says, it's okay. I'm, I'm used to it. I've been in a chair my whole life. I don't really think about it. But Michael's thinking about it. Yeah, the thing is that a real disabled person lives with and adjusts to their injuries or to their disabilities. So Billy, having spent his entire life in a wheelchair, he says, I don't really think about it anymore. It's just the way I am. It's my life. It's not a big deal. Michael's just in minor pain. He's not really disabled, even though he keeps calling himself disabled, and even though he parked in the handicapped parking spot, ridiculous, Ugh. he's put pictures on the wall for that meeting. He's got like Helen Keller up there, and he's got FDR, which were uh, actually disabled people, yes, but then he also puts up Forrest Gump, and then he puts up a picture <laughs> from uh, Big, also starring Tom Hanks, and it's the, the scene where he and... Robert Loggia, I think the actor's name, is dancing on the piano at the, the department store. And he doesn't think it's that movie. He thinks it's a different movie. I don't remember exactly which one he said. But uh, in any case, he was putting fictional characters up on the wall, uh, which just completely even further delegitimizes his disability. And I think we see that picture from Big with Tom Hanks again. Michael has a, a little hobby of putting pictures up in that conference room wall. And I think later on, I forget what exactly it is, but somebody mentions, hey, isn't that a picture from Big again? Why is that here? <laughs> Michael likes to recycle that picture. Then we have Dwight, who 
does have a concussion throughout this episode and it makes him a lot nicer he's also pretty airheaded he trails off at the end of his sentences he raises his hand and keeps it raised without realizing that it is raised and he actually becomes sort of buddy buddy with pam he helps her with her new mp3 player he jokes with her the thing he does that probably makes me laugh the most is when he's sitting at his computer and he's typing in a file name for a folder on his desktop and he's just typing his name in all caps over and over and over again and it's taken up like the entire window for this folder or file name, just typing Dwight over and over again. And he calls Pam, Pan. And he has this great deleted scene, a couple actually, where he's using the copier to copy nothing while he's concussed. And then in a talking head interview, Dwight starts describing the signs of a concussion. He's saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. But as he's going, his explanation becomes super disjointed and incoherent. And by the end, just makes no sense. And he says, and I'm faster than 80% of all snakes. Okay, Dwight, time to go to the hospital. He's not well. <laughs> yeah, he goes from, I've been trained in all the signs of a concussion. One, there's slurred speech. So also, number three, shortness of breath. And then <laughs> four things you have to remember. One, I'm faster than 80% of all snakes. Also, and that's and it. That's <laughs> <laughs> that was a great scene. <laughs> yeah, it was a very great fun scene. deleted scene. I, I wish that one had made the cut. I did too. But yeah, Concussed Dwight is pretty fun. And Pam even says like, oh, no, 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 we're not friends. Oh, I'm kind of friends with Dwight. Like, oh, gosh, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even Jim makes a comment about it in a, a yeah. short talking head. <laughs> I guess Pam and Dwight are friends now. Like, okay, that's an unexpected that's turn of weird. events. And actually, as they're taking Dwight to the hospital, Pam is like, okay, come here. Let me give you a hug. And Dwight says, oh, I'll be back. And she's like, yeah, but it won't be the same. Why not? Oh, that's that's hard to explain, Dwight. <laughs> It'll just be different. <laughs> It'll be different. <laughs> It'll be different. But bye. <laughs> Speaking of Pam, when Dwight is at the hospital later, he's gotten his CAT scan. Michael's tried to put his foot in the CAT scan machine while Dwight's there whatever and then uh jim calls the office and pam says dunder mifflin this is pam and jim says dunder mifflin this is jim and anyways uh while they're having that phone conversation jim sort of updating her on what things are going on she turns around and she sees that angela whose desk is right on the other side of that partition has peeked her head over and is listening for presumably information on dwight because they've got a thing so Pam sees this, doesn't say anything to Angela about it, but she goes over to accounting right after the phone call and tells Oscar, hey, Oscar, I just wanted to let you know that the doctor said Dwight's going to be fine. There's a really simple treatment for people with concussions. In fact, he might even be at work tomorrow. And Oscar, of course, is thinking, okay, thanks for telling me. And Pam just says, I, th <laughs> I, I just thought you, you'd like to know. And of course, she's saying that to Oscar in order to inform Angela without directly confronting her about this. So it, it's a really right. sweet thing that Pam has done, uh, recognizing that Angela cares, uh, but is not necessarily ready to share her feelings about Dwight uh, with the rest of the office. And another thing with Pam, it's it's noted that her new MP3 player um, is called a Prism Duro Sport, which she was gifted from Roy on, uh, for Christmas. And it was noted in the Christmas episode that Roy was actually going to give her an iPod which is significantly more expensive, more popular. Um, Pam wanted one, but she's gifted sort of the knockoff iPod, which was a nice writing moment. Uh, I think they they wrote that in nicely so that people who are following along will go, oh, he actually didn't get her an iPod, which I'm sure that the Prism Durosport is great, but the iPod definitely had some cool factor, which Roy didn't spend the big bucks on. Concussion Dwight did a great job of talking it up, though. Saying, you know, this he thing's did, great yeah. because it's it's better than an iPod because it's chunkier and more durable. <laughs> sure, if that's what you want in your MP3 player. But yeah. Just uh, what you want, yeah. <laughs> it's also mentioned that when Michael is on the phone with his mom, that Pam and Michael's mom talk. Did you have any opinion on that? I don't know what that context would be. Like, I don't know why they would be talking either. unless it's like... Michael's mom calling the office and, of course, speaking with Pam because she's the receptionist. And maybe she said yeah. something or was trying to, like, find stuff out about Michael without directly asking him. And so she'd call the front office and, of course, Pam would answer. That's the only thing I can really think of because I can't imagine why sense. Pam would be calling her. 
Right. <laughs> that threw me off because I, I don't think I had caught on to that previously. And then it definitely says Pam. So who knows? But that, that makes a lot of sense that she'd be calling the office. I don't have a whole lot of funny moments. You might have more, but mostly there's just a lot of jokes at Michael's expense, including those about the bubble wrap. There's there's jokes about mailing and shipping, and even Stanley gets in on that. And then just jokes about playing cooking his foot on a grill. I mean, that's one of the most absurd injuries I've ever heard of, right. <laughs> cooking your foot on a, a grill. And the, the talking head explanation behind that is hysterical, where he says, you know, I, I, I love waking up to the smell of bacon. I love eating breakfast in bed. So I keep the George Foreman grill by my bed and I put some uncooked bacon on it most nights. And then in the morning I wake up to my alarm. Then I close the lid on the George Foreman grill and then I go back to sleep. And then I wake up to the smell of sizzling bacon. I mean, it sounds nice in theory until you step out of your bed <laughs> and step onto your George Foreman grill and it clamps on your foot. Right. So there are a lot of jokes coming out of that. And it's made even funnier when he's asking to put butter on his foot. It's just the, the cooking jokes go even <laughs> deeper. And then in a deleted scene, he actually does put butter on his foot. And Angela walks by outside and says, oh, did someone make popcorn? which is really kind of gross because it's the smell of michael's cooked foot with butter on it ew gross whatever yeah (laughs) i also love you mentioned it but in in michael's talking ad he says i love waking up to the smell of bacon but he adds sue me (laughs) like (laughs) which i use all the time now (laughs) i say sue me far more than i should he also says it's good for him which not necessarily it's good for him it's it's a great way to start the morning. It's good for me. <laughs> no, but I get what you mean. I also love when Michael is talking to the office about um, disabilities and has anyone ever had a real disability? I'm sure Stanley has, you know, and Phyllis says, well, I had scoliosis as a girl. And Michael says, no, no, a real disability, not a woman's trouble. <laughs> like, oh, no. Ugh. Do you know what scoliosis is? Um, okay. <laughs> and then uh, Phyllis also has a great line when uh, they were talking about when Michael fell in the bathroom and why would you just leave me on the floor? What if what if Stevie Wonder had fallen on the floor of the bathroom? Would you leave him there? And then Phyllis says, oh, no, 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 we wouldn't do that. We love Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and Michael just gets so angry. <laughs> <laughs> that they don't love Michael. <laughs> <laughs> One other Michael thing that I I did want to mention, aside from the putting his foot in the CAT scan machine with Dwight, which is funny, but then when they're first leaving for the hospital, they're in the parking lot and Dwight asks where we're going as he's climbing into the van. And Jim says, we're going to Chuck E. Cheese. And Michael says, oh, I'm so sick of Chuck E. Cheese. Why is Michael going to Chuck E. Cheese? He is an adult. (laughs) He doesn't have kids. He doesn't have nieces or nephews that we know of. What what is the deal? Uh, why why are you going as a grown man to Chuck E. Cheese all the time? And it, it reminds me of a quote from The Fight where Michael says, I know a lot of 14-year-old girls that could kick Dwight's butt. And Jim says, you know a lot of 14-year-old girls? <laughs> uh, maybe that's where. Maybe he met them all at Chuck E. Cheese. At Chuck E. Cheese. I also love in that same scene when they're heading down to Meredith's van to take it to the hospital. Michael calls shotgun and Jim says, well, don't you know, think you're going to sit in the back with Dwight and there's a cutaway and Michael says, the rules of shotgun are simple and clear. <laughs> you, <laughs> when you're in sight of the car, you get shotgun. That's how shotgun works. <laughs> he was so emphatic and so angry. The rules of shotgun are simple and clear. I love that. There are no exceptions for people with concussions. <laughs> right. <laughs> also in this episode, Ryan is running errands for Michael all over the place. And I actually did the research. Are we? This is a great podcast, people. We're, we're doing the research for you. Fact checked. <laughs> he mentions the, I, I think it's Boston Market that Michael gets for food. Michael has sent him to the Boston Market or to the restaurant in Stroudsburg where they normally have yams. And so he's get, gotten three rotisserie chickens worth of dark meat. And uh, all this food that Michael doesn't need a lot of, but he's going to eat it anyways. And so Ryan said that the Stroudsburg location didn't have the yams. And Michael says they normally do. Anyways, that is 45 minutes away from Scranton, Pennsylvania, according to my maps. And then later, Ryan walks in with pudding and he says, I found the pudding cups that you asked for at a gas station in Carbondale. And Carbondale is 25 minutes away from Scranton. So... Ryan has been on the road for quite a bit, longer than just 45, 25 minutes at a time, because he said he found something at the third place he checked. Uh, so he, he's driving all over the place and looking at all these different places for things that Michael wants. 
And he ends it by grinding up four extra strength aspirin into Michael's pudding to calm him down a bit. And it works. <laughs> Same thing he does with his dog. <laughs> yeah, to get him to take their worm medicine. Well, I think that's all I had as far as funny moments this episode that I wanted to mention. Same here. And we already mentioned my deleted scenes. Did you have any more? I did have one last one that I really liked. Jim and Michael are at the hospital watching a movie in the waiting room and it's in Spanish and they're both, you know, kind of staring at it, wasting some time. And Jim starts to say something and Michael says, shh, I'm, I'm listening. And Jim goes, well, do you speak Spanish? And he goes, no, do you? <laughs> like he was <laughs> so invested in this foreign film or maybe a, a TV show or something. But I would love that Michael was just putting himself in the world of this novella or whatever it was that Jim was just staring at to do something. But Michael was invested. Yeah, it just begs the question, if you don't understand the language, why do you need to hear it? Right. <laughs> Whatever. You can't argue with Michael, uh, and Jim doesn't try to. <laughs> Not logically, anyway. Well, I think that uh, wraps up all of the deleted scenes I wanted to mention. What about our discussion topic? It's always fun to talk about this. So what is the worst injury you have ever had? Um, mine's probably pretty lame. I haven't had any serious injuries. <laughs> I've never broken anything. But when I was in fourth grade, I was in the gym at my elementary school before school started, and I was standing in line reading a book. In fact, it was Mrs. Pigglewiggle, <laughs> if, if anybody has heard of that. It's sort of like Mary Poppins. I was reading that, and then I woke up on the floor. I had passed out while I was standing up. I'd stood up too quickly or something. I don't know. But I, I had fainted in the middle of my uh, school gym. And I fell face first and landed on my chin. And so uh, I actually did have to go to the emergency room and get a few stitches. It was only like four. So it wasn't even a huge injury. That That's really it. I, I went to the emergency room and got my chin stitched up. And that was that. Yeah, that, that sucks enough. I mean, stitches are no fun. What about you? I think, okay, so I've had a bunch of weird stuff. But again, nothing really crazy. I've never broken any bones that you can do anything about. I've broken, you know, toes and things. But the worst one pain-wise. So I got bitten. We think it was by a brown recluse spider, Ooh. which are really poisonous. If it was a brown recluse, it was like not a super poisonous one. So maybe really young or old. We're not really sure what it was. But my leg, it was, it was right on the inside of my knee. And well, it was funny because as I mentioned several episodes ago, I used to ride horses and I was using an old saddle that I hadn't used in a really long time. And we think that there was a nest or something in one of the flaps on the right side of the saddle. And the thing about brown recluse bites, if that's what it was anyway, is that you don't really feel them bite. They're so small, but you feel it later when your whole leg starts to swell up. And it was the one by my knee particularly. I, I got two other small bites. So we're not really sure what it was. Um, they think if it was a brown recluse, I should have died. So maybe not that, but it was something. I couldn't bend my knee. I couldn't do anything. And I had to go get Sorry, okay, listeners who don't like stuff, turn away. They had to, like, dig the infected, like, skin out. They had, like, cut a hole in my leg, basically, and stuff it with gauze. And then a week later, I was supposed to go home and pull the gauze out by myself, <laughs> which Ugh. I don't do gross stuff. So I'm, like, <laughs> screaming, pulling out two feet of gauze from my leg. I apologize for the gore, but that was horrific. <laughs> yeah, brown recluse bites, if that was what it was, are no joke. Um, I think they're particularly native to like the south of the United States. So Texas is a pretty big mm -hmm. place. I have a friend who uh, was bitten by a brown recluse at a Boy Scout camp back when we were in yeah. middle or early high school or something like that. He's fine. But yeah, it's not something you can really joke around about. As as soon as you notice it and it starts causing problems, you pretty much have to get it taken care of right away. And it was, I'm as Chad knows, and as our listeners may not, I am very pale. And so um, on my legs, like, you know, I have blue veins just like everyone does but the veins around where the bite was turned red Oof. <laughs> like, that's not what you want that's not the color that should be so yeah that was pretty scary and on that happy note uh, <laughs> i think that wraps up the episode yeah that's the end of the official ninth episode <laughs> of an american workplace uh, you can find the show on facebook at facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on twitter and if you uh, find the time and feel the need, we would love it if you rated and reviewed and even subscribed to us on iTunes. It's a big way to help us with visibility. And then if you have any feedback or ideas, you can email us at workplacepod at gmail.com.
You can find me, of course, on Twitter at ktlady623 or on Facebook at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And all of our show notes and all contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you all for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on Episode 9 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in Episode 10 for our discussion on the next two episodes of Season 2, The Secret and The Carpet. Goodbye. Bye. It's just Michael struggling to bring out any knowledge about boats aside from that, aside from that, oh goodness, aside from them. <laughs> <laughs>